following podcast contains profanity. I'm Corey Stamper. I'm Steve Kleinedler. And welcome to Fiat Lex, a podcast about dictionaries by people who write them. This is part two of our interview with friend and lexicographer Jesse Scheidlauer. We did the initial taping all in one take. Uh, it was too long for one podcast, so we've uh, split it in half. Uh, this is a fake opening, and we're going to segue right now into the second half of the interview. So enjoy. Speaking of slang dictionaries, uh, since I have had the pleasure of seeing where you live and your giant wall of books, I know that you own a lot of slang dictionaries that uh, some of them are very old. They're all very cool. Are there one or two of those that um, that are especially rare that you're like, I can't believe I own this or ones that you hold near and dear to your heart? Well, there are a lot. So with slang dictionaries, um, there are a number of slang dictionaries that were published as dictionaries, but there are mm -hmm. a lot of other things that are really interesting that were published only pamphlets or some kind of ephemera mm -hmm. or you know manuscripts that were circulated. Right. Uh, so things that are very hard to find because they just they they barely exist. So an example of that, um, a, a somewhat well known example. So Cab Calloway produced a number of different very small glossaries of of hipster talk. Right. Uh, starting in 1938. And there were uh, a number of different editions, 38, 39, 42, 44. In 1944, it was uh, versions of this were incorporated into his book of Minnie the Moocher and Me. Mm -hmm. So there was a slang glossary in the back. And that's how it spread more widely. So, for hmm. example, uh, the movie Clueless, which has one of the characters, the gay character, using all this old-fashioned drive talk, mm -hmm. you know, nice stems when he looks at her legs and all that. Right. <laughs> like, that, that's all taken out of the Cab Calloway Dictionary for, from from the 1944 book. Okay. Um, but there were a number of different um, versions of this glossary beforehand. So, the, the, and calling it a glossary, calling it anything is sort of, it's a 16-page booklet that was three by four inches. Huh. Uh, and, you know, with differing titles. So, like, there are very, very few of these surviving, and they're right. very rare. Where did rare you find a copy of it? Um, well, I have several copies of different versions. Right. I mean, there are jazz collectors who have them. I mean, right. it's mm -hmm. something of interest. It's right. just very rare. Right, so, right. you know, some of them I just chanced upon, like in the early days of eBay, I found one or two. Right. And, and I've spent a tremendous amount for one of them from someone who knew what it was worth, and, you know, <laughs> but it was worth having. So, right. so, so a lot of things can be like that, where you have things that are important or have a lot of useful information. But uh, uh, but are very rare, mm -hmm. and you know perhaps the rarest of them, um, uh, so rare that I, I've almost never spoken to anyone who even knows that this exists. Uh, but uh, Bosley Wolf, uh -huh. uh, uh, an old time editor at Merriam-Webster, right. um, produced a uh, an unpublished uh, um, paper called "The GI's Favorite Four Letter Word." which was about the word fuck. Uh, and this was privately circulated to a very small number of people and um, and discusses the use of fuck during World War II, where he served. And uh -huh. uh, and I have a signed copy of this wow. you know, that, that, that he sent, that Bosley sent me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but But no one knows, even knows of the existence of this. <laughs> right. He's saying, that, that's interesting. Because you wrote the F word, do you get, or did you used to get a lot of interesting slash weird slash unusual mail? Or did people, you know, send you weird anecdotes, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, in this case, uh, it was a very useful manuscript, mm -hmm. but did you get a lot of weird things that you're like, what am I going to do with this? Not too much. I mean, there were, of course, a lot of people saying, um, 
having examples of where they would say, oh, I definitely know that it's from for unlawful carnal knowledge or things like that. Right, right, um, right. You know, not, not too much genuinely useful stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but not too many not too many crazies either. That's pretty good. Un- yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. A, that's a win. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that is a win. Yeah. Uh, um, but in terms of the early stuff, I mean, to go back to what I was saying before, yeah. um, the early uses for the first number of centuries are all sexual. Right. Um, and... You know, there are a very, very small number, like one or two of the figurative senses, you know, to injure or damage mm-hmm. uh, or victimize. Like there are one or two examples before, you know, 1900 or so. Uh, but the overwhelming majority of, of uses of fuck are, are post-1900 or, or right around them. So to take one example, um, fucking as an intensifier, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, perhaps the most common single use now. Right. Um, the earliest absolutely clear use of this is in Farmer and Henley's slang dictionary. Uh, hmm. from, uh, you know, this one was from 1893. Okay. Uh, where it's described as, I think, uh, um, an exclamation of extreme contumely or you know, something like that. Um, <laughs> right. But it, it has the label common. Huh. Um, but it's the only, you know, it's the only example it's the, well, it's the, it's the earliest absolutely clear example. Now, there, there is an right. earlier example that I think, well, that, that I put in. It's mm-hmm. bracketed in the OED, um, and we have a note about it where, uh, see, the problem is that there are early, earlier examples of adjectival fucking, mm-hmm. which are literal. They mean, you know, that fucks or who right. fucks. So right. a, a fucking whore right. uh, is literal. It's a, it's a whore that fucks. So, right. um, but there are examples of this where it could go either way. Right, but anyway, right. so despite the fact that Farmer and Henley call it common in 1893, there are no other examples of it. And, and mm-hmm. you know, by 1893, there's quite a lot of Victorian pornography that uses fuck. Um, right. But again, literally, I mean, there are tons and tons and tons exam- of examples of, of sexual fucking in, in Victorian pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, but despite the tremendous pile of this, there are no examples of fucking intensifier. That's so fascinating. It really is. And it also, you know, when you see movies that are set before that time period, that must automatically and anachronistically date them. You know, when you see people dropping the word fucking in a non-sexual sense in a time period that it probably didn't happen. Yes. Yeah. I mean, even things like fuck you, like this is World War One. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like there are examples from like 1905 where it's probably this, you know, but it, it's World War One is when we really start seeing that. And so. this ties into, if we may discuss mm-hmm. uh, your work on uh, The Man in the High Castle. Are you yes. at liberty to talk about that? I am, yes. In fact, uh, as I was telling Corey in the way, so, um, uh, well, The Man in the High Castle is a TV show uh, uh, from Amazon that is based on the Philip K. Dick novel, which mm-hmm. is an alternate history uh, set in 1962 where uh, the Nazis have won the Second World War. Uh, so the U.S. is divided into, uh, well, three regions. There, mm-hmm. There's a, a neutral zone, and that's mostly the Rocky Mountain states. There's the West Coast, which is... Uh, run by uh, Japan, mm-hmm. uh, and the East Coast is run by by the Nazis, more or less. Right. Uh, so uh, they wanted they wanted someone they wanted a language consultant to go over the language and make sure that it was accurate. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly interesting because, first of all, I like doing this in general, right. <laughs> uh, and I like the fact that people care or claim to care about it. So right. you know, there are you know, Mad Men, whatever. There, there are shows that that are interested in you know historical shows that are are in fact interested in. Uh, the accuracy of the language, mm-hmm. and it's something that's often very hard to do, like right. because these things where you know if you have someone in the 1890s saying "fuck you," this sounds or "fucking," you know, it sounds perfectly normal, and you know, but um, right. and there are many. I mean, not just obscenity. There are all sort like there. Um, my favorite example of this is um, well, I can't do this on a podcast, but you know, the, the, if you if you briefly close both of your eyes and then open them, mm-hmm. this is. 
a Blink. Yes. Uh, Blink, in this sense, is actually from the mid-19th century. Um, really? It's you know, that late? Wow. It's that late. So, so if you go back earlier, I mean, Blink existed for hundreds of years, but referred to different gestures, so like huh. nodding the head or whatever. So blinking would not be closing both of your eyes and then opening them. So Interesting. Um, and this is something like no one knows that you don't like now. <laughs> yeah. so, you, you know, anything set pre whatever, like, you know. And by the way, this is based on early OED stuff. I'm sure you can push it back now. Sure. But, but you know, as far as we know, and I haven't looked, right, I haven't looked at this, but yeah, uh, it's not something that goes back, at least as far as we know. Like it, right, this isn't something 1400s. that goes back to the 14th century. Yeah, so, yeah. so blinking any time before 1850, let's say, is anachronistic. Right. Um, anyway, so despite the fact that people often can't tell, some people do want things to be accurate. So, right. so I was hired as a language consultant for The Man in the High Castle, mm -hmm. uh, which was super interesting because there are several things going on. One is, would this have been in use pre-1962? But we're right. also dealing with an alternate history where the Nazis won the Second World War. So, right. Right. so you have the complication that, let's say, terms arising out of uh, jazz age culture, beatnik culture, also can't exist because there w there would have been no beatnik culture right. in the 1950s. Right. So all of the, that whole that that main conduit from like jazz talk from the 30s and 40s making into you know beatnik talk of the of the 50s making mm -hmm. into hippie talk in the 60s like this all doesn't exist because there's no jazz you know the Nazis have suppressed jazz and, and right. hipsterism right right um, so I did that for two seasons. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I was not working on the third season, but uh, there was some upheaval in the production team and all mm -hmm. this. So, so, um, but I found out just last week that uh, um, they dropped the trailer for season three, uh, and, and on the same day they contacted me, "Will you come back for season four? That's great. Uh, so I'm very pleased with that. That is um, really awesome. I mean, yeah, it, it's intellectually interesting. It's, oh yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Oh and, yeah, because uh, you can go with that with Man in the High Castle in particular. It's not just. That there's a this whole swath of American language that wouldn't have existed, but then you can also go into okay. So what kinds of German loan words would right. we have that's taken on? What exactly kind of Japanese right. yeah. loan words would we have taken right. on? Right. So, yeah. so there was an early period where we where we coined uh, you know a number of Japanese or German based words right uh, that would be in use and right uh, yeah yeah yeah. So if you have a TV show that is historically based and you want a uh, language that is not anachronistic, you can hit up a lexicographer mm -hmm. to do that. I was, when we're I was, the nerds that yeah. like that. When I was watching Pose this summer, which mm -hmm. I absolutely loved, um, <laughs> the uh, there was... It, and it was set in 87, 88. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the characters uh, used a couple times the phrase, throw, throw someone under the bus. Mm -hmm. And oh. I'm like, huh. <laughs> it, it was, and then, so then of course I had to look into this and it was, it was, it was, it's probable that it wasn't, but maybe, but the point is it threw me out of it. I had that, you know, you know, oh, yeah. pause, start looking things up and oh, stuff. Yeah. Right, well, well, Stranger Things also, you know, you know oh, right, 1983. Right. So, and, yeah. you know, not least because he would not my... be listening to some of those songs in <laughs> 1983. Well, well, that, <laughs> sure. Um, but, you know, like I was more or less that age at that yeah. time. So yeah. like, this all seemed very I, familiar. I was the and age of the older brother yeah, yeah. at that time, yeah. in, you know, in, in, in Flint, Michigan. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, this was <laughs> not being played there. But, yeah. but, but on the whole, they did an extremely oh, yeah, good yeah, job. Yeah. And I was yeah. very surprised. Like I would look things up like, no, oh, yeah, OK, just barely. Yeah. Do you recall any? those stranger thing words that you looked up not uh, often i think that there was one thing that i thought okay that's anachronistic but mm -hmm. but just one it was very only by a couple of years yeah same thing with uh wasn't super eight 
uh, set in, in the late 80s that, that... Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, there was, yeah. There was a word there that I was like, ah, yeah. Not, but, but one of the first times this ever came up for me, so when Titanic came out, oh. um, <laughs> there, which I had absolutely zero interest in, I didn't want to see it, and uh, but, every, oh, well, we hired the original carpet manufacturer to make the same carpet. Like, right, right, oh, right. Oh, my God. Who can, so the movie comes out, and I got a call from a journalist who's saying, uh-huh. well, you know, is this accurate? Is, so I don't right. know. Well, you know, so he, he gave me a bunch of things, and I mm-hmm. said, well, this is accurate, this is accurate, this is you know, dodgy, I'm not sure. This is, um, and, you know, from what he from what he read to me, I thought, oh, this is actually, this is, they did a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, but of course, that's the problem with trusting, you know, someone who doesn't know, you know, to listen. So I ended right. up, I, I saw the movie and I was like, oh my God, this is so full of anachronisms. I <laughs> yeah. can't believe it. Like, this is crazy. How can you miss? Because they just don't know what to ask for. So yeah. they act yeah, like yeah. if someone says shit, they'll say, oh, is that an Um Yeah. But like in one of the earliest scenes, um, you know, Jack is, you know, gambling on the, you know, gambling on the dots. I've never actually mm-hmm. seen the movie, so oh, I know, right? Count yourself among yeah. the blessed. <laughs> Um, Anyhow, he's gambling on the docks. Yeah, so yeah. he's gambling on the docks, and, and and he throws down his hand and says, "Moment of truth, boys." It's like, oh my god, everyone knows this is a bullfighting term from Hemingway. Yeah. You know, like it's a translation from Spanish. This absolutely did, and like, and it just went on from there. There were all sorts Gosh. of things that right. were, you know, that were tremendously anachronistic right. that they yeah. about. the it, thing that's great is you said, that they never bothered asking about. The thing that's great is you Everybody knows this is a translation from Hemway when, in fact, it's mostly like the 20 people who do this job professionally yes. that know. Yeah. Um, the one thing I really like about screenwriters is, are the precious few who will create their own vocabulary. And I'm thinking uh, like the movie Heathers, mm-hmm. which created yeah. its own fictional world, its own fictional music groups, mm-hmm. uh, created its yep. own language and its own slang specifically for that. And yeah. how much of it got picked up, which is also oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Stop trying to make fetch happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How very. How very. Yeah. Yep. Ah, yes. So um, that is also very fascinating. Yes. Um, that, that, that is, that is, and it's probably a job that a, a lot of people don't realize um, happens similar. Uh, you know, people are aware of you know, when foreign languages or invented languages are used, how mm-hmm. you've got specialists helping mm-hmm. with that. But they don't often think about uh, the people checking to make sure that, you know, anachronistic language doesn't fall into mm-hmm. place. And it's yeah. great that, that the certain production companies take the time and care to do right. that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Al- although, to be honest, uh, uh, the, uh, the devil's advocate uh, <laughs> argument here, <laughs> um, I don't necessarily think that it's, that it's uh, a required thing. I mean... Yeah. The people who are saying like this is super accurate, I mean, especially when you look at when you talk about slang terms, uh, the problem that you have is that things that uh, more than a couple of decades ago, like things that were in use won't sound the way they're supposed to sound to a modern audience. Right. Uh, and the the big example of this was uh, uh, was Deadwood. Right. Uh, <laughs> where so this comes out and and, and uh, um, I got into you know this, you know, back and forth in New York magazine, uh, you know, um about the accuracy of it and right. like well no this is all completely inaccurate oh no i looked it up i have you know i've read letters i was like right, no right, right. like i've read everything of it like this is not you know this is not <laughs> accurate but the point is it it felt accurate like it's right so we, yeah. we have a lot of evidence for people observing the slang of that era and saying oh it was unbelievable it was so disgusting it was right like it had a tremendous emotional effect and right. if you had you know and if you are doing something like that and you have people saying, you know, goddamn and you know, things like this. Yeah. It doesn't have the same effect. Right. So, you know, I'm absolutely fine with people um, if you have something set in Rome, they're speaking English, you know, right. you know right. like, like <laughs> right. you translate things. So, I don't yeah. have a problem with people translating, you know, the slang too and having mm-hmm. people say anachronistic 
you know, use right. of, of fucking, as long as you're clear about that, because, right. you know, that will sound like if, if you have, if you want to have someone sounding extreme, you have to have fuck and cunt and whatever, like, yeah. because otherwise it will have no emotional valence for us now. Right. right. Uh, yeah. So as long as you say, well, no, it's not technically uh, accurate in terms of what people were actually saying, but it it's emotionally accurate. Right. Right. Um, yeah. But as long as you're clear about that. Yeah. Right? So Hillary Mantel's Thomas Cromwell trilogy mm -hmm. is a... Uh, the two books that are there, Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies, are my regular bedtime reading. I've read them each a bajillion times. Mm -hmm. It drives uh, intrepid engineer Josh crazy. But that's a great example of this is clearly set. It, I mean, the the chapters begin with dates. Mm -hmm. So you know exactly where in the 16th century you are. And but, you know, the language that's there is is modern, you know, so there is a lot of like, let's fuck about with Thomas Cromwell mm -hmm. or things like that. And some of it is we don't realize how language goes in cycles. So, like, there's a there is a, a section of one of the books where they're talking about a Jake's, which if unless you, you know, mm -hmm. study language from that era, you have no idea what a Jake's is. And yeah, you'd use fuck about and you would use like he's fucking the, you know, mm -hmm. our prince is fucking that woman because you can't say like jape or swive or mm -hmm. these things that that were common at the time, but have fallen out of use. So unless you mm -hmm. want to suddenly do this like very intense, like, you know, see the back glossary for information about what a jakes is, then... Well, Neil Stevenson will use this terminology, like in in the in the in some of his Baroque cycle. Uh, oh yeah, it's it's I've I've been very slowly reading it over the last ten years because it's very dense. Right. Uh, but yeah, he 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 sends me to the dictionary not infrequently. Huh. Um, so that's uh, it's it's pretty cool, but it it also makes it a slow read. Right. Uh, but I mean, I think this kind of thing is important beyond language. Where if you're looking at anything historical, there's a sense to. Uh, there's a sense that you have to make it into kind of some masterpiece theater thing where everyone is super proper and like right. um and and in fact <laughs> i i rather like for example, Shakespeare adaptation, like you know, um, Bos Lerman's Romeo and Juliet. Like, uh, yeah, I think this I is great that. because yeah. you know, I thought it was great. This is, yeah, this yeah. is kids fighting in the streets. And yeah. when you read right. Shakespeare, you don't have that feeling because it feels so proper and fancy language right. and all that. Yeah. And something that really, like, no, that's actually what it Baz was like. Bos Lerman's Shakespeare really drives home the enmity between the two yeah. houses in a way that a lot of productions don't. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you know, uh, Ian McKellen's uh, Richard the Third was also you know, the, the, the one mm -hmm. that was set mm -hmm. in World War Two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Alternate World War Two was again compelling fascinating when you you know when you reset shakespeare in specific things it can make sense sometimes it can be an amazing train wreck yeah but uh <laughs> you know it, it 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 if if the people doing it understand the language then you can start playing with it mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly so um yeah i just to wrap up because uh, we're getting there uh to wrap up <laughs> i just you know, it's interesting because you know here we are the three of us talking about all this uh and you might think uh gentle listener that this is what we do when we hang out um not always i mean when Corey and i go out we'll be often drinking some type of libation with shrub in it or who knows talking about <laughs> not the industry uh jesse and i at weddings and conferences have shared hotel rooms where we end up watching classic boxing matches matches all night you know it it it, it is uh it, you know it, it we we're friends we're friends we do yeah. friend things too yeah um and it's and it is part of it is because it is such a small um it's such a small circle that we know we you know we know what we're doing in our day-to-day -day thing um i just finished uh the book um 
The Great Passage, oh. which is a book, a manga, an anime, and a movie uh, about a the production of a dictionary in in Japan. It, it takes place over fifteen years. It's a phenomenal uh, product. I saw the movie at Jesse's place with um, some other lexicographers, and we just sat there in awe because it 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 got to us in a way that nothing else in fiction ever has. <laughs> it was really really well done, yeah. and uh, I, I don't know much about Japanese lexicography, but you know, so much here is so familiar to every lexicographer. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was surprised by how accurate they were about so many of the details. Oh, yeah. It, it, it just, it, there's, there's this one bit where a entry has, an entry has dropped out in between proofs. Actually, it turns out it was never there all along, but there's an entry that isn't there and it should be. So they go, they drop everything and they check everything <laughs> and it's all on paper um but you know i've had similar things mm -hmm. happen and unfortunately yeah. you know there's an electronic way of figuring out and the, the 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 number of times you find the one and only one mistake but you spend days looking for other potential mistakes oh, that yeah. moment yep. was just like wow oh yeah mm -hmm. absolutely no i remember spending uh, well yeah we had something similar like that at random house where the first we were um the first time we produced a dictionary on cd-rom and Oh. Like, oh, oh, yeah, like uh, and, and everyone in this room yeah, is just like, shuddering. Yeah. Oh, God, that sure. process. Yeah, but like, uh, oh, this thing is coming out the wrong way and have yeah. to like, okay, let's manually click through yeah. you know, 10,000 entries uh, to make yeah. sure that this is aligned right or whatever. Uh, right, right. Yeah. To make sure that this Byzantine Unicode yeah. tag is is yeah. actually yeah. showing but, up as an H dot and not as a Byzantine Unicode yeah. tag. Yeah. But um, to be honest, one of the things that I liked most about uh, about the Great Passage is um the way they portray the main character as being, you know, very weird, you know, very nerdy, very Asperger, <laughs> you know, not socially, you know, not socially adept. Act, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. yeah. Um, and, you know, that is absolutely, yeah, if you've ever met a lexicographer, you've met someone like that. Yep. Uh, and that's not the way you would expect protagonists of movies to be portrayed. Right. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite moments when we were watching that, uh, Jesse went into the kitchen to get drinks for us and he'd seen the movie before and he came back and he's like, you know, where are we now? And I said, oh, well, they just met cute. And uh, Catherine Martin, who's uh, at the OED, turned and says, oh, I just took a citation for that verb form. And I'm like, oh, so did I. And then we had to pause the thing and talk about the verb met, met cute, cute from meet cute for a while. <laughs> Yay. All right. So wrapping up so yeah. thank you for uh making the trip down here no thanks so much for having me yeah you bet no. thank you listeners for listening to us uh talk shop with jesse yes and uh send us your uh your likes your comments Corey will give the litany of ways that you can contact <laughs> us <laughs> at fiat lex podcast on twitter fiat lex podcast at gmail.com there's a facebook page i swear i'll check it someday is there there I mean, is. I've never, I don't even think I've liked the Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> so I handle that, so. the Facebook page. Yeah, so that's how common the Facebook page is. The Facebook page, I think, is Fiat Lex Podcast, too. I'm not sure. There are actually no other podcasts named Fiat Lex. So if you're just looking for something, just look at Fiat Lex. Okay. Well, thank you. And uh, bye. Bye. Bye.